Welcome, Dendrophile. My name is Tonya Clark from the Birmingham Tree People, and today I'm talking to Ian McDermott, who's an arboriculturalist, all about tree identification. We all want to be able to walk past a tree and be able to say knowledgeably, oh yes, that's an oak or that's a lime tree. What's the best way of learning how to identify trees? There's, there's no magic wand for this one, Tonya. It's, um, it is just practice. In all the years I've been involved in arboriculture, it's the one thing that you have great, the most difficulty in book learning. Uh, you simply can't learn these things from a book, but however good the book is, you have to go out there and actually see the trees, touch the trees, learn them, go back, do it again. We always recommend the best way is to go to places such as garden centres and arboretums and parks where the uh, trees are labelled and um, look at them and learn them as a whole thing. If you haven't got that opportunity, it takes years, and even the um, city tree inspectors get it wrong on a regular basis. Uh, But the more that they do it, the the better they get. So it is one of those practice skills. It's just something you simply can't learn from a book. It really is the opportunity to go out there and look at trees. There are lots of books, and there's also mobile phone apps as well. Of course. Are they any good? Is it worth carrying around a book with you? I always do. I've, still, I've got one in the car I've had for 20 years. It's, um, they don't have to be expensive books. You can, I've got mine for um, £1.50 from a charity shop. And as long as it's got a, what they call a dichotomous key somewhere in it, uh, which is just a series of coupled answers, so you go through a series of questions, yes or no, yes or no, and they've usually got pictures attached. So... Are they needle-like leaves? Are they, are they? And then you ask a question, move on. Takes you all the way through. And you should be able to get, at the very least, the genus of the tree. The pictures are obviously an extremely useful thing. But this is one of those kind of strange things that botanists don't use leaves as a, as a key identification for anything they're trying to identify. Because the leaves on the trees can vary greatly from tree to tree and within the tree itself and season-dependent. So leaves are one of those things. If you're walking down the street, a lime tree is pretty much easily identifiable. The leaves are fairly consistent. The shape is should be what it is. The flowers are a great giveaway. But again, it's one of those things about learning the leaf shape and then it's not quite right. Is it still the right tree? And working your way through a logical series of identification keys. Apps, you mentioned. The one I use most is something called Plant Snap which is free. There's a paid version as well, but the free one works absolutely perfectly. I have to be honest, it's worked several times uh, for some quite unusual and quite rare plants. So I think Plant Snap is one of the easy ones for those with mobile phones. Or a good identification book, Collins make a good one, with a dichotomous key and will always help you with identification of the trees. When we're looking at the trees, it sounds, you've already mentioned some of these, but we're looking at the leaves, the bark the shape of the tree, the flowers, and maybe the context of where it is. Is it near a river or that kind of thing? There's a lot to learn. Of course, a huge amount. Um, It's not like trying to learn all the bats in the UK, because there's only seven. Um, There's hundreds of thousands of plants to learn. And even within just one genus of tree, we mentioned lime. There are dozens of varieties of lime and species within that. So it's not just easy, you know, it's, we need to get the genus as tree wardens. That's the essential part. After that, it's a luxury to a certain extent. 
but we are talking about hundreds of thousands of identifications here. Uh, it's an immense task, and it's something that we accept that it's a lifelong learning process. Getting involved and in identifying your first oak tree is a fantastic start. And then if you get the bug, this is something that will carry you all the way through your life. We've mentioned looking, but is it also about smell and touch as well? Oh, yeah, we didn't mention smell and touch. I mean, as many keys as you can get are the bark, the shape, the size of the tree, the the shape of the leaves. Um, How those leaves are attached to the twigs is always a good big key. And if you can find a flower or a fruit, that really helps. Most botanical keys um, do rely on the flowers. Something called plant systemics is the evolution of all plant life. And you can certainly get within the family of the trees quite easily by just being able to count petals on a, on a flower. So all those things are very useful. Where it's growing, you mentioned that. Um, although in the UK, we tend to be able to grow quite a lot of trees in quite a wide range. We have a great climate uh, for growing trees, at least. Anyway. Um, so where it grows is important. Soils it's growing on are important. But flowers, fruits, leaves, overall shape... Um, that's the symmetry of the tree as well, the size, the colour of the bark, uh, and possibly even the rooting pattern, if you can see it on the surface. All those things help you boil this down to uh, an identification. For me, one of the things I struggle with are conifers, because um, oh. I look at them and I just think all those needles just look the same. But I know that some of them smell different. Some do, some don't. And again, it's one of those things about using all your senses. There's, um, you mentioned smell, touch is also the same thing. We have a positive ID for juniper by stroking the foliage backwards. It, it prickles your hand. It's one of those things, if it does that, there's hardly any other plant that does that, so we know that it's going to be juniper. But smell is one of those tricky ones, because what might smell like grapefruit to me might smell like oranges to you. But citrus smells are quite common with many of the conifers. We start off normally with the conifers because there's leaves on them all year round. Well nearly all of them all year round. Are the leaves round or are they flattened or are they oval? Um, And how are those leaves attached to the actual twig itself? Those are the first usual keys. And once we've got separated the pines from the firs, etc., we will then perhaps crush the foliage to see if it smells. Uh, You'll find that the very common conifers, like Leyland and Lawson's, the cypresses, don't smell particularly very nice, don't smell at all. Whereas something like Western Red Cedar has a very citrusy, grapefruity smell. They look very similar, but that's the key thing. Using your nose, you can separate them out quite quickly just by crushing the foliage. So yes, use all your senses. And certainly it seems that the looking has got to be quite intense looking. This isn't just walking past and glancing, maybe. It's like you say, it's looking at the leaf pattern and really searching to see if you can find any fruits or flowers. And certainly, when I look at some of the trees, they're flowers. They don't really look like flower flowers. They're tiny little things. It's surprising. It's, um, uh, and again, I think it's not looking, it's seeing. I think that's, that's the art. It's actually seeing something. So sometimes you'll walk past it and you don't even notice that there are any flowers. Some, some tree flowers are completely inconspicuous, uh, and some not so. So the Paulonia, I think his common name is the foxglove tree. You can't miss those flowers. They're just coming out now because they're about foot to two foot long, purple, huge, great panicles of spikes of flowers, and there's no leaves on them. They come on before the leaves 
so you can't miss something like that. Lime's a bit more tricky, though. They tend to flower in June, and you'll tend to smell those rather than see them once you've realised what you're looking for, because they're quite small individual flowers, and much loved by the bees, but it tends to be the smell you'll notice first, and then you'll notice the tucked in amongst the leaf axles, all the flowers, and then there are some really tiny things that are almost inconspicuous. However, many of them are extremely valuable uh, for the wildlife. A good example, I guess, with talking about wildlife would be oak. The flowers on oak are um, simply just not showy at all. Uh, once you don't even realise they are flowers, but without them, obviously, um, there's no progeny and there's no uh, acorns, and the acorns are obviously extremely valuable for the wildlife. So the flowers come in all shapes and sizes, and recognising what a flower actually is is the first of the skills. Uh, it may just look like nothing at all, or it may look something spectacular, and everything in between. You really do have to spend some time seeing the trees, don't you? trying to identify it you have to hone your skills it's a case of looking for key identification factors and when you see them being able to recognize them for what they are the flowers may not even be flowers they may be modified leaves on some plants um so working out the botanical bit does take a long time and again this is where those read those identification books are so useful they'll help you through this if you can get to the point where you can find the family of the tree in the ident book you can then read about the botanical makeup of the item in front of you. Would you recommend going to a botanical garden with a notebook, with your ID books, and just spending a day checking the ID of the trees? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, I mean, something that I've done all my working life, uh, whenever I travel anywhere, you look for the botanical garden or, or the local nursery or whatever it might be. It is absolutely essential if you're going to learn a wide range of trees, but don't try to learn too many in one go. If you just pick out half a dozen that you want to um, you want to be able to identify and try and get those into your head. If you try and look at an entire arboretum, if you visit Western Bird, the National Arboretum, you could spend three days there and still not cover it. You couldn't possibly retain all that information in one go. So just pop along and just look at the maple collection or look at one of the just a collection of the same trees. Learn how many of the, as many of those as you possibly can within the same genus of trees that you're looking at. Would a, a kind of a top tip be to get yourself a book, a decent book, and go to tree nurseries, arboretum, but mainly just to concentrate and see the trees that you, you walk past every day? Yeah, it's, I mean, you could do this within 100 yards of your own house, most people can. You can go out and see quite a wide range of trees in the streets and the parks the open spaces, the housing estates, and there's a fantastic variety of trees. A book and an app, if you use um, uh, smartphones, absolutely essential. A little bit of common sense, the ability to see and observe, and most of all, passion. Yeah, wanting to learn something, and it's one of those great things about, um, it's not difficult to learn if you're interested in the subject. So the enthusiasm does allow you to uh, learn these things quite quickly. Don't worry about the Latin. The Latin will either, you'll either get it or won't get it. Just learn the tree, what the name is, where it grows, um, how big it grows, is it in the right place, is it looking okay? But as I said, it is a long journey. Learning the native trees is um, one of the skills we try and get the tree wardens. But learning 30-odd trees shouldn't be a problem.
it shouldn't, but the problem is that they look different in winter, spring, summer and autumn. They're young or they're old. Some have got diseases that you you think, I don't recognise what that is now. It's difficult. It is difficult. Um, if it was easy, it wouldn't be worth doing. But as I said, it, I mean, of that 30-odd native trees, we're looking at the top 10. And learning 10 trees... It should be, you know, should be within the grasp of everyone. I realise it's an issue. Children aren't taught these in school particularly very well, so it is something that we tend to come to as adults nowadays. But learning ten trees, and as you said, they are different in different times of the year. Spring and autumn are immensely difficult to identify trees because the buds. If you're trying to identify the twigs and the buds in the spring, that's changed because the buds are swollen and don't look what they should look like in the book. In the autumn, the leaves have changed colour and they're starting to get a little bit diseased. It becomes a bit more difficult. So seeing the trees throughout the seasons absolutely is an essential, particularly winter idents. I think the tree people in Birmingham call it name that stick in winter. Winter idents are really difficult. I find them really hard. The challenge for us now is to learn our ten trees, but also maybe to encourage some children to come and learn them with us. It should be our, the aim and ambition of us, all of us to uh, bring the next generation along to appreciate the wild, the wildlife around us uh, more appropriately. But certainly, I mean, we have those common trees which everybody loves an oak, but you'd be surprised how few young people are able to identify an oak tree. You should be able to walk down your street and certainly do the top four or five street trees quite comfortably. So we don't see many oak in the street, but we see a lot of plane tree and a lot of lime tree. Lots and lots of mountain ash and white beams, fairly common trees along the streets. Those are the ones to get to know first, the ones that grow around where you are. And they are very different to look at. So you can't mistake many of these trees for each other. So just pick on the ones on the street first, the three or four different varieties you've got growing in your street, and learn what they are, and then add to your lexicon each day. So maybe visiting a local park? Oh, the parks are tough, Tonya, because the parks normally have a wide variety of trees. And the streets are much, because they're so much more difficult to grow trees in the streets, because it's a much more harsh environment, then there'll be fewer species. There'll be a much tighter genus. But in the parks, we tend to have quite a wide range of trees. And even me, go and walk and think, I've no idea what that tree is. I walked past it a hundred times, still don't know. Better go and get my book and have a look. We've got nowadays, we've got a lot of the tree managers, the city tree officers, are using a lot of different species in order to try and future-proof, for climate change reasons, the tree stock. A number of our native trees don't do so well in climate change, so they're varying the planting stock quite widely. So we're having to learn new trees every single year. That's quite a depressing thought, Mac. I'm struggling with the 36 already. Well, I never thought I'd see um, Magnolia cobus as one of the most popular street trees in the UK. It's very easy to identify, however, but you've got to say things are changing. So Magnolia cobus is one of those trees that um, you can't get from many of the nurseries now because they're sold out a year in advance because a lot of local authorities are planting them on the streets because they grow very well and they're very good at taking up nitrous oxide. It's the best tree we currently are aware of for the uptake of nitrous oxide. So they've become a very popular tree to plant. 
There's no room for complacency here, is there, Mac? There's always new trees that we're going to have to learn to identify. Thank you so much, Mac, for talking to us today. It takes time as well as all our senses to really get to know a tree. And I guess we all want to get to the point where we know the limeness of lime or the oakness of oak. And from a distance, we can just nod our heads and say, yeah, I know what that tree is. The tree I'm in love with today is the yew. Revered and feared, immersed in ritual and mystery. There are six species of yew tree in the family Taxaceae. They are evergreen conifers and have flattened needles opposite one another on the shoot. The common yew is called Taxus peccata. Yews are full of contradictions. Their needles are dark glossy green on the top, but yellowish green underneath. They are thought to be the longest lived trees in the UK, with two trees in Wales being over 3,000 years old and the Fortingall yew in Perthshire being over 5,000 years old. These ages were based on the impressive girth of these trees, up to 50 feet, and their appearance in books and records from centuries ago. However, a report in 2019 by the Royal Forestry Society uses a different method called the Unified Field Theory, to measure the age of yew trees and it suggests that the Welsh yews are only 1,600 years old and that the Fortingale yew no more than 2,000 years old. We should not be dismissive though. These are still very old trees planted when Romans, Anglo-Saxons and Vikings ruled the UK. Their age has led people to say that yews grow slowly but research shows that they don't grow particularly slowly when young, but they probably slow down in maturity. Some books and myths describe the yew as being very poisonous, with even crushing the needles enough to give off fatal vapours. The seeds are definitely poisonous, but the pinky red fleshy aril surrounding the seed is not. It's very sweet and tasty, and the needles don't seem to be poisonous either. The young shoots are possibly poisonous to cattle and horses, but the needles have been used to make life-saving breast cancer chemotherapy drug, tamoxifen. The bark is hairy, red and flaky, but the wood underneath is close-grained, durable and elastic. It polishes up well and was used by cabinet makers, inlayers and lute makers. The wood also used to make longbows in medieval times because of its strength and suppleness. The word for bow in Greek is toxon and the Greek for poison is toxicon. There might be a link there with the name for the yew, taxus. Yews are often found in churchyards and some think that this is because they were planted to shade the church builders as they worked or that they were planted so their roots could suck up the evil humours from the graves. Another school of thought is that the ewes were already there and were planted by druids on their sacred sites. The Christians just took over their sacred sites for their churches. The Greeks believed that the ewe purified the dead as they entered Hades, and this could be why ewe branches were burnt on funeral pyres and why Shakespeare refers to a funeral shroud being covered in ewe in his play Twelfth Night. Whether slow growing or not, 
incredibly ancient or just ancient, very poisonous or just poisonous in parts, Christian or pagan. We can agree, I hope, dendrophile, that they are impressive trees, even when they are being butchered as topiary. There's more information on ancient yews on the Ancient Yew Group website at www.ancient-u.org. It's well worth a visit.